0: So if you would please stand for a reading of God's word. I'll be reading this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, "'Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you.' The woman said to him, "'Surely you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death?' But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said to him, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Saul for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, "Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you, you become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me." The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please be seated. Now, before we get into it, I just want to mention a couple things. The first, let me just say that this passage is a great example of why we preach through the whole Bible. Because quite honestly, if I had the choice, I wouldn't pick it. We are about to read a passage and study it in detail that describes King Saul going to a medium, a witch, to raise Samuel from the dead. It is a passage about evil And a passage about the tragic end of Saul's life. This is why we preach the whole counsel of God. Because as strange and odd that this passage is, I believe there's something for us to hear this morning. The second thing towards that end is I want to give a shameless plug for all of our men's and women's Bible studies. We study the Bible not because we think it's an intellectual enterprise to learn more Bible facts, but we study the Bible because we believe that it is the very Word of God and has the power to change us from the inside out. That's why we study the Bible. And just a few weeks ago, I was teaching our men on Tuesday morning, and I opened with an illustration that looked at Jonathan Edwards. And the lessons that we can learn from the first great awakening. Afterwards, one of our elders pulled me aside. I won't tell you his name, but his na- its, uh, initials are Kit C. We'll just say that's, just keep it anonymous. But he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, I-, I think that is something that our whole church needs to hear. And as I was studying for the sermon this week, I'm inclined to agree. And so that's where I want to begin this morning. September 10th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards delivered a commencement speech to the faculty and students at Yale University. This was his title, The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. Now, can you imagine a commencement speech being given today at Yale University with a title like that? Edwards then later took this speech and he expanded it He published it as a book that same year, and I wanna read to you the full title, it's a mouthful. The distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God applied to the uncommon operation that has lately appeared on the minds of many of the people of this land with a particular consideration of the extraordinary circumstances with which this work is attended. They don't write titles like that anymore, do they? It's not very marketable. What's Edward's point? Edwards set out to answer a question. How do you know when you see a true work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual? What are those marks that help us to know that this is a genuine movement of real faith? For Edwards, there were at least five. A greater esteem for Jesus Christ, a spirit of continual repentance, A high regard for the word of God, an increasing interest in the truths of God, and a deep love both for God and for one another. He recognized that even in the midst of a revival like the first great awakening, the weeds of counterfeit Christianity can grow. And I think his message is just as relevant today. You see, it's possible to grow up in a culture that has been historically dominated by Christian practice, just like ours. To say all of the right Christian things, to go to all of the right Christian events, and yet on the inside have your heart completely cut off from the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. This morning, our passage looks at the tragic end of a man who on the outside had all the appearances of godliness. He was the first king of Israel, chosen for how he looked on the outside, and yet what we have seen throughout 1 Samuel is that his heart was increasingly far from God. And as Saul's life has quickly deteriorated, This morning, we are looking at its tragic end. What we'll see this morning is that we are forced to reckon with a very dark chapter. Saul, not able to hear the voice of God, turns to the voice of evil. And at the end of his life, all he can hear is the voice of condemnation. The question for you and I this morning is this. Can you hear the voice of God? And do you hear him calling out to you for your salvation? The first thing I want us to see is this, that Saul could no longer hear God's voice. I want you to look with me, verse 3. We're told that Samuel had died. We're also told that Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land you know, just your typical background information for any of your favorite Bible stories, right? Two very important things. Samuel had died. He wasn't just mostly dead. He was all dead. He had been mourned, and he had been buried. But the second thing we are told is that Saul, as the king of Israel... Enforcing God's authority, put out all of the mediums and necromancers out of the land. Now, you're probably wondering, what's a necromancer? Fair question. Mediums and necromancers were people in those days who claimed to communicate with evil spirits and to even communicate with the dead. This was witchcraft. Witchcraft. And as you can imagine, it was forbidden under the Mosaic law. That kind of dark evil, that kind of speaking outside of God's authority about the future was completely forbidden to the point of death. And so Saul commanded that every medium, every necromancer be sent out of the kingdom. Verse 4. Now we're told that the Philistines had assembled. They had camped and surrounded Saul and his army who were encamped at Gilboa. Verse five, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. If there's anything that we have learned about Saul, it's that his heart was consumed with fear, not fear of the Lord. He was afraid of losing power. Saul was afraid of losing control. He was afraid of losing the kingdom of authority. He was afraid of losing the throne to David. And now he sees himself and his army surrounded, outmatched, and outnumbered. And we're told his heart was filled with fear. And so he did what every sensible person does when they are afraid, whether you believe in God or not. He prayed. He prayed. Verse 6, we're told that he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. Saul prayed. He inquired of the Lord. He wanted to know what is going to happen to me and to my army? What is going to be, happen to my power? What's going to happen to my kingdom? But God did not answer. See, Saul could no longer hear the voice of God. He could not hear the voice of God because time and time again, he refused to listen to the voice of God. You see, there is a big difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is just a passive thing. It's where sounds enter into our ears, and our ears, along with our brains, process those noises. But listening requires focus. It requires intentionality on our part. It is active. It actually requires our devotion. Some of you may remember a Pulitzer Prize winning story in the Washington Post about a violinist named Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is widely considered one of the greatest concert violinists alive today. And on one random morning during rush hour, he put on a disguise, took one of the finest violins ever made, and he went to a subway station in the middle of Washington, D.C. It was a social experiment to find out if anybody would even notice. Nobody had a clue. In just 45 minutes, over a 1,000 people passed by Joshua Bell. Only a handful of people stopped to listen, and even fewer decided to throw in a little bit of change into his open violin case. After 45 minutes, Joshua Bell made $27. $27 given to him by people not realizing that he is paid $1,000 a minute. What's the point? The point is that it's possible to be so focused and consumed with yourself so fixated on your own agenda and what you mean to do in your own power for those people on their way to work. Just like Saul, so bent on building our own kingdom that we fail to hear the voice of God. And this is where Saul found himself, completely cut off from his voice. Why? He had cut himself off. Over and over and over again. This is the question that Samuel posed to Saul back in chapter 15. Samuel asked Saul, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? In Hebrew, the word for obey is the word shema. It's the same word for the word hear. In other words, there is a deep connection between hearing listening with attention and obedience. Deuteronomy 6, it's in our order of worship this morning. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel. It's the word Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And now here's the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments obedience is deeply tied to how we pay attention to him, to how we listen to him, to how we hear what he says and then act upon it. You see, what you need to know about love and obedience is that they go together. We obey because Christ first loved us. But in response, if our love is without obedience, it's a love that's just like infatuation, a love without wedding vows. But if our obedience does not have love, then it's cold, it's callous, it's prideful, it's self-centered, it's legalistic. And so what we need to see this morning is God in his power and in his grace has given us commandments. The question is, do you hear his voice? Are you listening attentively? Do you see the beauty of, of holiness and what he has commanded us to be. Second, Saul didn't just lose the ability to hear the voice of God, but then he turned to the voice of evil. I want you to look with me at verse seven. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. Notice what Saul is doing. He is the king, and under his authority, publicly, he has cast out all the mediums and the necromancers. But privately, putting on a disguise, under the cover of darkness, he is seeking one out. Why? Because he can't hear the voice of God. And because he can't hear the voice of God, he has to hear the voice of something, even if it's incredibly destructive and evil. And so here is Saul seeking out a witch, asking her to raise up Samuel for the dead because maybe he will have something to say. Maybe he can give him some kind of direction. Friends, what I want you to see this morning is that is evil. It's sinful and it's hypocritical. Publicly, outwardly, condemning something while on the inside giving into it. But he doesn't just stop there. Verse 9, this woman says, wait a minute, this has to be a trick. Not knowing it's Saul, she says, surely you know what King Saul has done. Why are you laying a trap for me if, if I do what you ask and I'm caught? I'm going to be put to death. Saul's sin doesn't just stop at seeking out a witch. It doesn't even stop at his hypocrisy, but now he's saying, look, I promise you and I swear to God that nothing's going to happen to you. In other words, he's changing the rules and he's committing blasphemy. This is the power and the destructiveness of sin. As we've studied Saul, though we've seen him do some foolish and wicked things, to think that his life would end this way was probably not in your imagination what I want you to recognize is Saul didn't just go head first into witchcraft. But it was this slow drip of rebellion and disobedience, refusing to obey the voice of the Lord, time and time again choosing to build his own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, choosing to love himself rather than to love God and his authority to the point of rebelling rebelling to the point of seeking out a medium to raise Samuel from the dead. He knew this was wrong. He knew this was evil. But he did it anyways. We have to ask ourselves this morning, are you and I any different? Are you and I any different? Though we know that there is evil in this world, and then we know something of the goodness of God. Why do we turn from his goodness and turn to evil things? Though you and I are probably not seeking out witches on the cover of darkness, the truth is we are seeking out all kinds of evil, particularly when we fail to hear the voice of God. The Apostle Paul put it this way, a young pastor named Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, Understand this, that in the last days there will become times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Does that describe you? Describes me. Lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather lovers of God and then get this having the appearance of godliness but denying its power it's the perfect description of Saul and if we're honest it's a pretty good description of us. Saul had the appearance of godliness on the outside, but in his heart, he denied his power. And in the end, the only voice he could hear was condemnation. That's where I want to end this morning. Saul heard the voice of judgment. We're told that this medium, this necromancer was able to somehow conjure up Samuel from the dead. Now, if that is making you a bit uneasy this morning, and it should, I just want to mention a couple of things. First is this. Notice in verse 12 that it says that she was surprised. She was alarmed. She was afraid when she saw Samuel. Why? I think it's because she didn't have the power to actually pull it off. And yet God in his power had one final thing to say to Samuel. The other thing that I want you to notice, and it's really a warning, don't get distracted from what Samuel says to Saul. This is what he says, verse 15. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Verse 16. Why did you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke to me. In other words, Samuel's posture is almost like, why are you bothering me? I've already told you all that there is to say. The same message that I now deliver to you, Saul, I've already delivered to you. And now God is actually doing it in your midst. Saul, because of your disobedience and sin, you have been cut off from the kingdom. The throne is no longer yours, it's been given to David, and now, verse 19, now you're gonna lose your life. But Saul, all he can hear is judgment. All he can hear is condemnation. It was a voice that he had ignored over and over and over again. Way back in 1 Samuel 15, Saul, you're going to lose the kingdom. And what does Saul do? I'm going to build up an army. I'm going to defend my kingdom. He's ignored Saul's the judgment of God. Saul has ignored this condemnation. Yet now, tragically, at the end of his life, it's what he died hearing. And there in chapter 31 in your bulletin, we're told that archers surrounded him, that he found himself overwhelmed, And so he took his own life. And then we see chapter 31, verse 6. Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. It's a tragic end to a very tragic life. What do we do with that? As we go from here, what do we do with a passage like this? Saul, for centuries, people have wondered if he was a genuine believer. I mean, this was the first king of Israel. He was the one who was handpicked by Samuel. This was God's choice. And yet the way that his life ends, it, it makes you wonder, did he really know God? Did he have any of the distinguishing marks of genuine faith? And while you and I cannot look into Saul's heart any more than he could, and we cannot say definitively of his eternal state, what I can say with certainty is this, that Saul died completely cut off from God. What are you hearing this morning? What voices are you able to Listen to? Do you see yourself like Saul, maybe ignoring the voice of God, refusing to obey his commandments? Do you find yourself allured and enamored by the voice of evil things in this world and all the empty promises that they offer us? Or are you like Saul, completely overwhelmed by the voice of condemnation? Do you hear it? Guilty, disobedient, wayward. The question I have for you as we end is this. Is that all you can hear? Don't be like Saul. Because the voice of condemnation is not the only voice there is a louder voice that cried out from the cross. The voice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who as he hung up on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And with a single declaration, his voice of salvation completely trumps any voice of condemnation And so the Apostle Paul asks, who is to bring a charge against God's people? Who is to condemn? My friends, do you hear the voice of your Savior calling out to you? Crying out, it is finished. And will you receive him? Will you respond to him, his death and resurrection for your salvation so that you could hear his voice again, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we find ourselves, often after a passage like this, a bit dizzy, not only because of its content, but because of its message. So I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would pierce us through That if we have calluses built up over our ears, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice again. And may the first part of that voice be, it is finished. May we hear what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and may we respond with devotion. May we follow you as your disciples, and may you work salvation into our hearts that we could bear fruit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.